Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the third and final audio blog post. I guess maybe not the final. I might do this in the, in the future if you guys really like listening to the blog posts rather than reading them. But um, I say final in the sense that it is the, I guess, rounding out of the series I was doing on leaving the evangelicals that started as a singular blog post and then there were more things to say. I decided to put out a third and final installment. I'd written one and I wasn't going to publish it. I wasn't sure that it needed it. I didn't want to keep dragging this on if it wasn't really beneficial. And if I was just writing it sort of to flesh it out for myself, then that's fine. I didn't necessarily need to, you know, as a writer, we don't publish everything. We don't need to. Everybody needs to read everything I write. Not everything needs to see the light of day, you know? But in light of, of current events, I felt like it was important to to say those words for myself, but also for, I know of people that could easily write the same posts that I'm writing, that think a lot of the same things and are struggling with a lot of the same questions and issues and deconstruction and loss of faith in the institution. And feeling the freedom finally to express that discontent and loss of faith in the institution. So in light of that, here we go. I started a completely different draft of this third installment, but in light of current events, the words just aren't landing the same, and I have a heavy heart today. I've heard from so many friends and online acquaintances that they are not surprised by the recent exposure of the investigations of the SBC that started more than a year ago. Although my heart feels heavy and I'm sick about it, I know why no one is surprised. We are not surprised because emotional immaturity paired with spiritual extremism that upholds white male privilege and power is a breeding grounds for narcissism and predatory behaviors and personalities. I can't help but be furious at the ways that the SBC leadership over several decades has diminished victims' reports, balked at them even, and blamed the devil when survivors' advocacy reached sympathetic ears. Let's think about that just for a second. I grew up in that space. This is not in the blog post, I'm just sort of riffing for a second. I grew up in that space where we sort of blamed the devil for everything. We always felt that the devil was out to get us. We always felt like he was his, um, you know, demonic energies when things went wrong and, and there was a lot of spiritual warfare going on. And I'm not saying that I don't believe in any of that anymore. I just want to recognize the SBC is saying that a victim who's accusing a spiritual leader of sexual assault, they're saying that the fact that that woman's report got heard or reached mainstream media is the work of the devil, that it's a distraction from the gospel. But I hope you can see how gross that is. I hope that you can see how deflecting that is to not even listen to this woman's story and not even take it seriously that you immediately blame the devil for something that you did. I know that there are girls and women that carry silent burdens. They're like giant boulders on their backs, impacting everything that they do, threatening to crush them, afraid to tell their stories that sound so similar to the ones that have spoken up. 
they are afraid because they have witnessed often in real time how a man in spiritual leadership over them dismisses, silences, and covers up sexual misconduct, sexual abuse, and sexual assault. She has no doubt witnessed the church's response to scandal and accusation. So in self-preservation, she stays silent. Again, just for a moment, riffing off of the, the page here, I know that there are thousands of women, maybe millions, that haven't come forward, that won't come forward. Not because they don't have the courage, not because they're not brave, but because they know. They know the victim shaming and blaming that happens. And so while there's hundreds and thousands of accounts across the SBC about misconduct and abuse and assault, there's a plethora more that will never be heard of, that will never make it to the light of day, that will never see justice or restitution or even acknowledgement. There's a whole host of reasons why women don't report, why they don't disclose. I know those reasons well. But how the church responds as a whole to sexual abuse and assault should not be one of those reasons. We should be able to trust the church to handle this stuff appropriately. And as much as the evangelicals hang their hat on being biblical all the time, we should be able to trust them to handle this biblically, like Jesus would. I don't think that's too much to ask. But like many other scandals in the news as of late and throughout history, we can watch the institution itself bunker down, employ tactics like villainizing and discrediting the victim, blanket statements like we have never, and desperate attempts to control our reputation. Yesterday I learned a term called DARVO. It's a textbook tactic that a narcissist will use. It's an acronym that stands for deny, attack, and then reverse victim and offender. So narcissists will, when they're called out, they will deny, then they will attack, and then they'll reverse the order. They are the offender, but they'll suddenly start to play the part of the victim. Like, oh, well, this man being attacked by this woman who's accusing me of this, when in fact he is the offender of the misconduct, the abuse, or the assault. So this is classic textbook narcissism tactics, and we see this happening actually with the SBC currently. They're doing this. Their response to all of this investigation, all of these allegations, this is, this is what they're doing. You can read about it in all of the articles. There's no way to successfully manage the impact or image or liability when the institution itself is breeding the predators. There's just, there's simply no way. And there's far more intelligent scholars and teachers out there that will dissect all of this from a theological standpoint, The all of the pitfalls that you can find here in the SBC, and, and they could do that far better than me. But I will say, in my opinion, in my experience, all of this comes down to certainty. If a person is certain, or they believe that they are certain, that they have the only correct interpretation of something. They believe that a collection of books ma that makes up the Bible is to be read literally. If they believe that men are superior to women, that there is no free will, that the devil is out to get them, that white male privilege is actually just God's favor, 
that women actually cause men to stumble, if they believe in original sin and blame, and if they don't value their own experiences, emotions, or agencies, then you're raising a human that will end up with superiority, entitlement, a lack of curiosity, a lack of accountability, shame, no agency, power or favor hoarding, a fixed mindset, and a lack of personal responsibility. I was in my mid-twenties when I first heard that Constantine was responsible for much of our Western church model. I was in my mid-thirties when I learned that Augustine has a theological modality that differed from Calvin. When I learned that there were many ways in which a Christian, quote-unquote, could view the Bible, atonement, the Virgin Mary, heaven and hell, I was able to think for myself beyond what I had been programmed to believe. So I see that when we learn new information, it should change what we think, what we believe, and how we operate in this world. The following brief history of the Southern Baptist Convention is grossly oversimplified. So there, again, there is a plethora of more qualified scholars and theologians and church history professors that have written books on these subjects. Our Protestant church began during the Reformation because King Henry VIII declared himself the head of the church, breaking up with Rome and the Catholic Church because he wanted a divorce. Even though he had recently defended the Pope when Martin Luther had called for reformation within the Catholic Church, which let's review, Martin was challenging the patriarchal palpal authority while also being a deeply flawed man himself with a lot of dehumanizing ideas around Jews and slavery. Nevertheless, this led later to England becoming a Protestant nation and the king controlled religion. The pilgrims that would come to North America and colonize it were part of a separatist group called the Puritans. And these separatists came to America in search of religious freedom because, as we just stated, the king controlled religion and he wouldn't allow anyone to practice outside of England's official church, which he was the head of. Those Puritans later transformed themselves into Baptists through some internal disagreements in the 17th century. This transformation, or church split, would get repeated and repeated and repeated until there's literally any kind of Baptist denomination that you could dream up, the Third Missionary Holy Ghost Revival Bible Baptist Church. Fast forward through a lot of really important history that we don't have time to dissect right now. In the 1800s, the Southern Baptists founded their convention because of a church split that was caused on their stance on slavery. Southern Baptists were against the anti-slavery movements in the North. Let's reword that. The Southern Baptists were for slavery. Much later in 1995, they finally, finally denounced their position on slavery. In 1995, folks, that's recent. In 1967, However, two men hatched a plan to unify the Southern Baptist denominations. They planned to take over the largest Protestant denomination in the U.S. 
they were successful at it too. They became a powerful ally of the Republican Party and called it the quote-unquote conservative resurgence. They codified the literal interpretation of the Bible and they pushed diversity from other denominations further to the margins and rose to power. And when the SBC met in 2019, these two founding men of the resurgence were kept from attending, they weren't invited, because of public scandals involving molestation and the abuse of women. Yet in the 80s, the Southern Baptist Convention together launched a literal, and I kid you not, a culture war, together with financial support of the Republican Party. Their focus was AIDS, abstinence, and abortion. Suddenly, the government and the church were back together. Only this time, it's the Baptists that have declared themselves the head of the church by having the only correct and literal interpretation of the Bible. Now, in 2022, the SBC finds themselves at the center of attention yet again, accused of decades of cover-ups, abuse, misconduct, assault, and complicity. For so long, the Baptists, in particular the Southern Baptists, have been on the wrong side of history. For a group of people to be so certain and yet fail so spectacularly is at least confusing, and at most, foundation-shaking. Remember those Jenga blocks we talked about in the first blog post? They are quaking. When we learn new things, it should change what we think, what we believe, and how we operate. Now, I know many people will claim that we can't accuse the whole of the Southern Baptist Convention based on one man's sin, but it's not one man's sin, is it? It's chronic. The list of assaults and abuses is long. Long. And the cover-up list is even longer. And the let's forgive and move past this list is even longer. And I am well aware that it's not just Baptists. It's every organized religion. It's every church. It's every institution. It's every business. Harassment and assault and abuse and the degradation of women, the dehumanization of women and marginalized people is just a sickening problem that hasn't gotten any better. Silence, inaction, and complicity are harmful in any scenario, but they become monstrous under the banner of religion. You see, when your entire faith paradigm rests on certainty, on your certainty, and being quote unquote right, hearing, accepting, and acting on when you are faced with a human's propensity for sin, whether it's sexual or otherwise, causes the foundations to shift. Because when you're certain and you're faced with someone's, in this case, sexual sin, and it's a leader, you have a choice. You can either allow that to affect what you thought, how you've operated, and what you believed, or... In order to avoid that shaking, shifting, maybe even crumbling, in order to avoid that discomfort of, I thought I knew this person, I thought that I could trust this person, I thought that this is what we believed and how we operated in the world, 
In order to avoid that discomfort of being wrong, humans will naturally seek to maintain power, control, and image perception. And all of that is in order to maintain their certitude. Even if that certitude is a smokescreen. I was a part of four churches before I left the SBC. Three of those claimed to be non-denominational, but the pastors had only ever known Baptist roots and leadership. And behind those staff doors, they all acknowledged to being supported by the SBC financially. And I encountered predators and predatory behaviors and narcissistic abusers on every single staff. Because the white evangelicals are breeding them. They're replicating them. History recycles itself until something or someone intervenes. In 2016, like much of the world, I watched American evangelicals support a man. They helped him take power, who had been accused multiple times of sexual assault and harassment and had been reported on for having bragged about it. I won't quote the phrase, but we all know the one. Having been a victim myself, I honestly couldn't stomach how people could claim to want the ends of the earth to know and follow God and yet could treat people and, and dehumanize people so reprehensibly. No wonder no one is surprised that the SBC is accused of silencing women and has accused the leaders of sexual assault. It is with a heavy heart that I pray today. I pray for the women who have yet to speak up and are even more scared too because they have watched their church respond to allegations. I pray for the women who have spoken up, their brave souls like voices in the wilderness. I pray for every wobbling Jenga block. May the foundation that is quaking today not cause you to lose faith in God, only in a flawed institution. I pray for change. I pray for justice. I pray for restitution. And I pray for you. If you are waiting for an exit sign, this is it. Among many, but this is it. God is not in those walls or buildings. God is not that self-appointed man. God is not those obligations, expectations, or that shame. God is not one denomination, and God is not bound by a political party, nor does he endorse one. God is more vast than we were ever told and more magnificent than we ever will have the language to fully understand. So that Jenga block tower is falling or it's already fallen or you just find yourself sick over the news today and I know that you do. Come outside, love. Take up your shoes and walk in the grass. Listen to the birds and the frogs and the cicadas. Watch the lightning bugs dance among the trees. Smell the flowers in the field 
Watch the sun rise and stretch across the sky. Witness the stars make their debut. And when you feel ready, mosey on over to the dinner party while underway. Under twinkling lights and the fullest moon you've ever seen. Where you can sit alone and ponder, where you can be held in a hug by someone who loves you deeply. Where your story is believed. Where you matter and you are loved as an equal. Where you are safe. Where justice is served with unflinching love. Where we set boundaries like it's a fancy table place setting and we pass out grace like it's brunch. <laughs>